I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, the podcast that looks at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Welcome to Hey, I Want Your Job. And today I have a guest whose job is freaking sweet. I'm not going to lie. But that I have zero acumen to be able to do his job. So I kind of don't. Dave, what's your job? Hey, Michelle. I'm Dave, <laughs> uh, everybody. And my job is currently a senior, op- uh, senior director of operations for AA Labs, which is which a sounds totally boring. Yeah. So what do you really do, Dave? Well, I do a lot of things. It's a startup. It's kind of a startup. It's it's uh, it's shifting its gears to kind of triple down in the new area. So it's very startup-like, and I do a lot of things. Um, but it, the things include some project management, some product uh, design, some art direction, some spelunking into some of the, the content itself to try to fix stuff when it's needed, um, some pitch work, some investor meetings. We have so uh, deeply buried the lead at this point. It is nothing yeah. but comical. Dave, what, what industry do you work in for oh, all games. of this? There we go. Well, games are games adjacent. Yeah. This so current, and- current current job is not actually right in the middle in the pocket of games. It's like it's a virtual worlds company. So it's not actually coming up with a game's title, which is going to be for sale okay. as a game. But it's a virtual world, which is like a game. But it doesn't really have, it's not closed in terms of its universe or its economy or any of those sorts of things. So you'll be able to join or leave and it's going to be more like a social space online okay. that you can go to and visit, which is maybe think of it more of as a successor to something like uh, a second life. I was going to say, this sounds very or, second lifey. Is that or, like yeah, or, what we're uh, doing here? Okay. Um, it's going to be a little different. It's It's focus is a little more accessible than second life was okay um, it's, it's also you could think roblox too obviously everybody wants to be like roblox now but um it's going to be it, it's similar in the in the sense that it's a place that a lot of people can go show up and have there's events there there's brands there there's a lot of things to do and a lot of fun to have that's amazing so, so what what kind of things so let's start so second life obviously uber famous for being second life spawning yep. 8,000, you know, businesses, you know. real estate. Yeah. Traditional yes. real estate. But then also like we've all, we, even people who don't know what second life is know what second life is because it's been in movies and everything else, obviously not called second life, but basically, yeah. you know, anytime in a film, somebody was living a, you know, in their virtual reality, something, or like an episode of, I think there's an episode even of like CSI or something or something. There's a plot around it. I think, yeah, I think the Wikipedia page of like instances of like note for a second life is pretty impressive. So that's what second life is for anybody who doesn't know, but it is like uber famous as somewhere that is one of the first virtual times that I can think of that there was a a virtual world like you're talking about where people made non-virtual money. Like there were not a small number of people who made an actual world living? They did making, doing, selling things for and in the virtual world. Now we know that that happens all the time with mining operations for stuff like WoW and all kinds of things like that. 
But second life, as far as I know, and you know more about the history of this kind of stuff than I do probably, that's the first instance I know of where that really happened. Um, so that's. Yeah. And gold farming probably was like, those are the primordial days, right? Gold farming. Then you could, cause then you, you know, if you're on well, you create an account, you, you like level up your character to the max, max it out. And then you sell it on eBay or whatever was the trend, right? Yeah. You could sell your character online for you know thousands of dollars. Yeah. People would buy it. Um, so they would could skip all that time. So yeah. yeah. Uh, those are the early days, man. Totally. But uh, hey. second life was very experimental and I think super successful and Linden Labs, I mean, uh, which is the creators of it, just, they're just amazing. So they did a lot. So you guys are working on a similar kind of project to that. So is that like, is the the goal at the outset that people will absolutely have a real world economy within the virtual existence? For what yeah, you're eventually, now? yes. Uh, so we're starting out, uh, the AA Labs is founded by an amazing woman, Amber Allen. Um, and she's been, she's ex-Riot. Um, and... Uh, Warner Brothers, ex Warner Brothers Interactive. Um, she's been like, she's like a sort of like a ball of flame. She just comes through the room and it's like, it completely like just dominates all the attention and, and then, and then is, is gone, you know, like in a poof, right? Um, but she's, she's awesome. She's amazing. Um, she's, uh, her, her background is in events, like uh, in terms of the, the, the company's history, it's in mm -hmm. physical events with a, with a digital, lens so there'd be the company has done a ton of work in very bespoke like launch events or brand events like ready player one or mr mercedes or um, uh huge uh events that ended up generating tons of impressions and and our, our stories that are continue to be talked about um cool. as super memorable right and so what covid did for them is kind of flip them from say a 70% physical to and 30% digital because there was always a digital aspect, technology mm -hmm. aspect, everything they did, holograms or, or you know, projected imagery or, or um, you know, all kinds of fun, light shows, laser shows, those sorts of, those sorts of things. And oh. now it's more, it's at least in COVID, it's been pushing the digital side more. Okay. And so a lot of it was events-based and it still is heavily events-based but they're thinking much longer term um, about what it could become. So it's still kind of got a lot of traction in the event mm -hmm. space. And the first the kind of uh, first and second generation of tech has been heavily in the event space and it's done really well, um, a tremendous traction, which is why I was excited to join. Cause I was like, how is this even possible? This is nuts. And uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing to watch uh, how successful the company has been able to be so far. Um, but well, the, what, the, what they're building now is, is uh is really corner, sort of you know now that they've seen all of the, the the opportunities and everyone's talking about the metaverse of course now um the there's a pragmatism to the selection of uh of of markets that is at double a labs which is really unique and so it's going to be starting out with a little more uh focus on business and uh and then and business to business to to consumer so ultimately b2b to c say okay, um, that makes sense. so it needs to be consumer friendly because that's ultimately the end user and uh but we're basically creating a platform that uh a lot of other companies can use and leverage well that sounds very exciting and very interesting but that's not really what i wanted to talk to you about say as you know i really okay. want to talk to you about 
what you've done to get you to this point and what you've, what's come before. So before this, I know, and you know, some of your background, um, in, in gaming. So just for people who don't know you, like I know you, what, um, give us some of the titles that you've worked on that they may have heard of. Sure. So I have a, a unique, um, very wandering road as a career. So I'll just start out with that. I started out in 97, 1997. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, we're old, Dave. We're old. We're old. <laughs> at, uh, at DreamWorks Interactive in Los Angeles. Um, uh, a friend of mine uh, from high school and college joined uh, DreamWorks because of a, of a uh, interactive game that we had made at, a, at, a, at an art school, you know, the art, uh, Academy of Art University in San Francisco. And a recruiter was there and we were just lucked out. We had our, we had ours on display, like on a projection and display back then, you know, it's a big thing to have your work on the wall and stuff. So our game was projected on a wall and we had uh, a few recruiters that we didn't expect to actually show up. We were trying to win a competition uh, where we would have won like an SGI machine. And back then you could sell an SGI machine for maybe $15,000 and maybe you could pay off some of your student loans, you know? So we were trying really hard to win that. SGI machine, um, we got second place, but uh, but we got jobs at DreamWorks instead. Even of, better. So we we had this tough decision to make, which was finish school because we we're close. I think we we're like I was one semester away from graduating, or take the job. And I was just like, man, you know, like isn't this what I would want, having graduated, to actually have in my hand? And I already have it, so can I just come back if this doesn't work out? Can I just come back and finish? And I just decided to take the, take the plunge. And so actually, and he did too. So we moved from San Francisco to Los Angeles and then that's all, that's, that, that was the beginning. Um, and so, then from there, when does it take you? So, yeah. So I started working on licensed titles at DreamWorks Interactive for movies. So it's like games like Small Soldiers, uh, The Lost World. Lost World was my first game to work on. Uh, for the PlayStation One, right? Um, wow! And so yes, yeah. we are old. <laughs> we are old. We are old and uh, super old. But uh, jumped from there to uh, you know the team that I was with was an amazing team, amazing producers. From you know a lot of them were ex Disney. Uh, they jumped over to DreamWorks and to help start DreamWorks. And um, we started. Uh, Steven Spielberg had just finished filming Saving Private Ryan. And was coming by the studio and saying, "Hey, you know, I've been playing. Well, between shoots, been playing this game called Goldeneye, and it's totally awesome. And I think we should make a game set in World War II that's basically Goldeneye." And so that's where Medal of Honor was born. Um, and so I worked on, I think, three. Uh, yeah, I have credits on Medal of Honor, Medal of Honor Underground, and Medal of Honor Frontline. Um, and then that spawned. There was a kind of a business moment where. The team, you know, EA, EA had purchased the studio um, and the, there was, the culture was starting to change. And so, and a lot of the team members were kind of growing. Um, and after, I think we had worked together for about five years, we, some of us just decided, what would it be like to kind of go out on our own and start our own shop? And so a big portion of that Medal of Honor team ended up at a company called Spark Unlimited, which was also in Los Angeles, and began work. We signed a deal with Activision um, to begin Call of Duty. 
but ended up becoming Call of Duty, right? Um, and so uh, the group that I was in was at Spark were sort of a sister, kind of, a, I won't call it a sister studio, but we're working on the same brand new franchise with Infinity Ward, which had just come over from 20, being, they were you know, all ex, uh, ex 2015 people. Um, and amazing at gameplay and layout, like just the best, right? They still are, right? Um, and, the, and moved on to respawn and still are, right? They're the best. Um, and we were more, I think our strengths were more in branding and story, probably and narrative at the time. Um, and so we were, one of the things that the Spark team did was focus on how to differentiate Call of Duty as a brand and as a franchise from Medal of Honor, because there, uh, there was some litigation and stuff back then. And so needed to make sure it was, it was distinctive. Um, but that team went on and we shipped uh, Call of Duty Finest Hour, which was the first game for console and the most, I think, financially successful game in the franchise until uh, Modern Warfare. I have to say, uh, not that any of them so. have really suffered. Like, I mean, no, Call no, of no. Duty is... It's, it's pretty... like baseball now, right? Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it's just as American as baseball most, I would say, um, at least for the game, at least for our generation. Um, my, so... my brother-in-law's genuine, like, career goal is to be a twitch streamer for call of duty i yeah have no words he has yeah. literally come to me for career advice i'm like i have none maybe get a career <laughs> like this isn't a thing if you want to stream like on twitch you playing call of duty go nuts my friend but you can't plan that that's going to somehow pay you i get that some people get paid. yeah you can't plan it like you can hope but you can't plan so right. anyway yes yeah, so carry on so then call of duty yep. and then yep call of duty um we shipped a couple more games while i was there um uh for playstation this is ps2 days i think still um and uh i i was i i met my fiance you know my i met a, i had a girlfriend and met her at church and we uh she became my fiance we got married i think in 2001 in one and started having children pretty quickly um and by 2007 we were we had three kids and one on the way um and so uh we started to ask ourselves you know what we're, were we thinking <laughs> we were getting funny looks at the grocery store in los angeles right because we had three little babies in diapers and she was pregnant and people would look at us like who are these people what are they doing here they're totally weird. So we, we started to feel like maybe, you know, it was really expensive too, right? So we're, we're trying to think about what do we, where do we, what do we want to do? You know, where do we want to be? Um, and we knew we wanted, you know, from a life choice standpoint, we wanted a place to have kids uh, where they could go to school and have a great education and be safe and, and all of that. And so we ended up moving to Austin, um, 2007, late 2007. And I ended up moving from Spark Unlimited to Midway and working on a game called that didn't end up releasing because of really because of what happened with Midway, but um, it was called uh, Criminal and it was an open world game, um, kind of in the vein of uh, multi-action genre titles like GTA. Um, okay. So, but from, uh, from there, I mean, in terms of role, just really briefly, I started at DreamWorks as an environment artist. Uh, and then became a senior and a lead artist uh, while at EA, after EA had purchased the studio. Um, so I was a lead environment artist at, the, at that point. Um, and at Spark, I was a kind of corporate secretary 
uh, for the for the uh, company. I helped. We co-founded it. Like a lot of the decision making was done in my living room, you know, around what we're going to do. Drove the truck with all the chairs in it to the, you know, our startup location, all that stuff. Um, uh, it was a, a big ritual. We ended up renting out <laughs> this awful. Uh, we co-leased or sublet, sublet a, a building, a, a, a space on Wilshire Boulevard where we first started out, and it was it was like a trailer park sales office or something like that. And we all the team together spent an entire day just cleaning it because there was like so much nicotine. You could take a, 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 a picture frame off the wall and that you could see the yellow. Ah! Yeah. yeah. So, um, and we would blow the circuits in that, that space on a daily basis. Cause we had so many computers in there. It was not right. set up. It wasn't set up <laughs> for a game development shop. Um, but we, we ended up moving into Sherman Oaks, um, uh, not too long after that. But while I was at spark, I, I went from, a kind of an environment art focus to a technical art focus because we were short staffed and the team needed tools. And so I just learned how to learn how to write in Mel and Python and, and wrote the suites of tools that the team used on the environment team um, and became essentially a technical artist or did technical artwork as a lead um, and also learned because we're under some, you know, running a business is different than being on a team. So learning a lot about running the business. A corporate secretary gave me exposure to a lot of the business development work that we needed to do. Um, and getting smarter about business and how to save money was essential to staying alive. And yeah, so that, that drove, drove me into understanding pro project management and product development more. Um, and that's where I started to build new muscles there. Um, and that's where I learned it. Um, from there, I jumped. I mean, that's kind of the begin, the inception point from what has been sort of a, a double track path for my career since then. So I, I kind of jumped back and forth between, um, you say, op more operational or business related roles um, or production roles or EP roles back to content roles. Um, and that's just been a, a pattern that's repeated over, over the years. Um, so, so in your heart, when you kind of think about who you are as a professional, what do you, do you think of yourself as an artist? Do you take, think of yourself as a businessman who happens to make money in games? Do you think of yourself as um, a creative director that brings multiple creative visions together? Like, what do you think of yourself mm -hmm. as after all this? I think what I what I've evolved it to become, and I don't know that it's, that it, it's an end state at all, um, but uh, working with amazing teams has transformed me as a person. Um, and it started at DreamWorks, honestly, like probably that first job. In fact, it, it, we were introduced uh, because you were helping me with, with some personal resume work, right? And, and yeah. doing that work, um, there was a lot of questions that you, you all made me think a long time about, took me extra time to answer all the questions. But in, in just thinking about it, um, it was extremely impactful to me to be around the people that I was around those first two years at DreamWorks. There was, I mean, just tremendous thought leadership at that studio. And I was brand new, brand new baby coming into the industry. Um, and I think since then, it's been really wanting to be and hungry for wanting to be around just amazing talent and amazing, amazing brilliance all the time. Um, and so mm -hmm. for me, when I think about me, I like to, I like to build teams in creative enterprises. 
So let's the as it's a macro level. That's what I like to do. So if okay. it's uh, it's say say we're going to make a game or we're going to build a studio and build a studio to make games. I just came from Kabam Austin. I was brought in as one of the the kind of the foundational hires to help build a team and make a couple games and make some technology, um, some cutting edge technology. Um, and for me, that was exciting because you don't get that many opportunities to build teams in your life. Mm. Um, I've done that. That was probably my third real third real time doing that, maybe fourth real time doing that. Um, uh, and you're, you always want to try to build on your last attempt because it's never perfect and it's always super hard. And the culture is the culture is its own animal and the people that you bring in are going to end up affecting what it ends up becoming. And so um, it's always very exciting and unique to be a part of um, kind of the foundational level. Of, so of it's new, really about the growing of a growing team together as a team. Okay. Yeah, and and being around amazing talent. Those are like the number. Probably those those are just two things that I'm always gravitated toward. Yeah. So you've got over 20 years in the gaming yep. industry. Yep. Do you still like video games? I do. I do. What I, are you like, playing? So I so I was super hooked on Genshin Impact for many, many, many months um, through probably, when did I put it down? I think I put it down in February, regrettably, because I'd still totally be playing it. I, I decided to play it on my PS4. Um, but I bought, I, I started playing it because I love um, uh, Breath of the Wild on Switch. Totally okay. love Breath of the Wild. And I was like, okay, here's this knockoff. I'm just going to play it so I can bash on it, like secretly, right? So I started right. playing and, I was, and, and it was free to play. And I was working for Kabam, and Kabam was my first free-to-play uh, exposure to working on a free-to-play title. And gotcha. so I wanted, to, I wanted to understand more, and a part of my job is to make sure that I, I definitely understand all the ways that games can monetize and how you change the, the systems design and the meta so that you can monetize a free-to-play game. And so part of my research was forcing myself to play this game called Genshin Impact. But I got to say, man, they did a freaking amazing job. Um, and I didn't want to, like, I was begrudgingly admitting like, okay, they did some things right. And then like, after maybe a month of being totally addicted to it, I was like, all right, they, they did a, a they totally knocked it out of the park. They totally did a kick-ass job. I have to totally give them props. They took what was already an amazing sandbox and meta experience in Breath of the Wild, and they totally converted it to free to play. And I looked up the, the production history on that game. I think they did it in under three years. Um, and it was just astounding to me, like that they, I still don't even know how they did it. Like it must've just been a death march for two, like three years. Um, there isn't that much available cause it's a Chinese company, mm -hmm. that, a Chinese developer that did it. Um, so their info is a little, uh, is a little sparse on how it was built, but I mean, it's a unity game. It's like how they, like, I have so many questions about how it was even made. I would love to be able to interview folks that were on the team do you need uh, me to do like some investigation please. and find it i got it i'm on it that would be amazing I have connections uh, i don't really know people dave yeah so i, I did right. set that one down yeah we went through some rocky times at kabam recently which um which you're aware of and i think that the austin studio ended up kind of um shifting its focus to supporting vancouver some uh the initiatives yeah. and games in vancouver um and i ended up uh deciding to, to depart but and so I stopped playing games in that little window, but for some reason, I, you know, I started, I kept playing Dead Cells on my phone I, I or on, on the Switch. I love, um, 
Castlevania is one of my original first loves in, in gaming. And it is so, one of my husband's biggest loves. Yeah. So I started playing, I don't know why, but I, I was playing Dead Cells and I was like, you know, I need to go back and play like a couple of the Castlevania games. So that's what I've been doing lately is Symphony of the Night. Well, I will have to tell him to try Dead Cells then, because like I said, Castlevania is oh, his dude. favorite. But I don't Dead know if Cells you... is amazing. I mean, I can't. Uh, Dead Cells yeah. is the best game. He's man. a he's a retro gaming nerd. So we have every video game console ever made. Awesome. Um, is it? Is it? Dave? It is. It is totally awesome. <laughs> including every handheld, in, including apparently there was one that came out that was like a mobile phone, but it was also like a, a gaming console. We have two of those. He accidentally won two eBay auctions on that one. Like anytime you need to come over and nerd with my husband about his extensive video game collection, by all means, if you want to take a couple consoles with you when you go, you also have my permission Dude, to do that, Dave. Don't hate me. Don't hate me. <laughs> oh, that my sweet awesome. But yeah, yeah. so... So, and so when I say like, he's a Castlevania fan, I mean, like he has taught the three-year-old. He's yeah. like, Hey, oh, and he is currently creating his own video game starring our children. That's like totally eight bit to be played on like the original game boy. So hey, I will, cool. yeah, I will, I will have him send you the link. I think you will find it amusing if nothing else to, to see it. So yeah, I, I love that you are a gamer. We play different games. I don't do first-person shooters. I don't do platforms. I'm very picky. Like the yeah. pickiest bitch ever about my video games. What's my your husband... favorite? What's your go-to then? Oh. Picky. Because it has to be awesome then. Which one is it? So or... my favorite game of truly all time is Fable. Okay. I love I love it so much. And um, yeah, like I love it so much that I totally like fangirl stalked Peter Molyneux. Um, like I, yeah, love Fable. Um, uh, but then obviously you can only play because it's a finite game. So yeah. once you've like, once, once you've you caught them all, you can only play it so many times. Like every once in a while, I'll go back to it every couple of years and be like, I'm going to replay this because I still love it. Um, after Fable close second diablo it's yes. total diablo girl love i it. haven't played fable so i can't comment on fable but yeah i need to it sounds like i need to check it out so do you know the premise of fable i no i don't I, i've only seen like videos and stuff so it is um it's a basically an rpg so you pick a class etc and you have like rpg kind of overall save the world kind of quest that you're on. And then there's obviously like a million side quests to that you that you can choose to do or not. But as you go through, you have not only do you level up your normal like agility and that kind of shit, but you also make choices that are moral choices. And yeah. your moral choices affect the way that other people see you. Include, including in how they interact with you, but also how they physically see you after a period. So for example, if you eat a bunch of pie to yeah. get your health back up, you get fat. If you eat celery, you lose weight, you get thinner. If you choose, if the villager has a present that you need or a thing that you need, you can choose to kill the villager and take it, at which point your evil quotient goes up. Yeah. Or you can choose to get the villager drunk and like do a dance for him, at which point your nice guy quotient goes up. 
And like the way that you dress and the way that you present yourself impacts how people interact with you. So like if you um, want to get a great discount in the shops, you can either wear like a skimpy outfit with a corset um, or you can wear like the evil like highway robber outfit and like either Mm. they're enamored by you and give you the discount or they're terrified of you and give you the discount, but either one. And then there's also opportunities to truly seduce um, characters within the game, like the um, the AI within the game. And like, <laughs> if you don't choose to do that in a protected way, you can get STDs and you can Whoa. make babies. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and there's interior design. So you can buy houses in all of like the cities and then you get rent for your houses, but it depends on like the level of furnishing. So like- if you have a shed that's like decorated like a shed, you get less rent than if you have it decorated really nicely. It's amazing. Wow. Very comprehensive. Yeah. That's well, because Molyneux, you, like he's the he's the God game creator, right? Yeah. So like there's yeah. there's that element to it, but then he's also the tycoon guy. So yeah. Fable kind of brings both of those things together and you get magic bullets. And like I feel like there's no lose in that. That's all. That sounds awesome. I'm a big fan, obviously. Um, but yeah, so I, I have very strict rules about playing people. I only ever make the really good choices because if you're really, really good all the time, you have a halo. Um, if you make bad choices, you get big horns, no horns, all halo. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. way. Yeah. Morale, I have very strict. My husband's like, why don't we be evil this time? I feel yeah. like that's why you don't get to play the game. You just get to watch. (laughs) (laughs) This is why you don't. I I might be superstitious, but I feel like it kind of, it might affect me somehow. Like it'll rub off on me in some way, right? Like what if this actually impacts my karma? What if being a dick in this video game counts (laughs) as being a dick in life? Like I don't need that. If I practice being a dick in the game, won't I be more, doesn't it increase my probability of being a dick in real life? Right? Doesn't it? I would think maybe. I would think so. Escape and everything, but like, I don't know. And that my husband argues that actually it gives him a a very safe place to be a jerk because everybody has those impulses, right? He's like, yeah. So I I can kick the puppy in the video game. You don't have to like kick actual puppies. I'm like, you're wanting to kick puppies. We should we should have other talks. Yeah. Um, But so um. One of the things that struck me when you were talking about your current company that I think is very interesting and is kind of reminds me of a topic I want to switch us to you is you were talking about your founder and how yeah. she's amazing. And then you started listing all of her credentials of amazingness, which were super impressive. As a woman who is a gamer, one of the things that I really hate after having been in the gaming community one way or the other for most of my life is that you don't get to show up female in gaming and not have to sit through some form of interrogation to quantify that. Yes. In fact, you get to call yourself a gamer and they'll be like, well, but have you heard of such and so iteration? And you hear the same thing in a lot of areas like 
you know, the classic one for a lot of my friends that are, that are Trekkies, they're like every con they're like, Oh, but do you know about in the third season when such and so happened? And they're like, that's a trick question that happened in the fourth season. And like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. As a guy who is not a jerk <laughs> to women in gaming, first of all, do you, do you see it happening to us? And, and second of all, why, why do you think this is there? Um, as somebody yeah. who's in the boy club. So there's two lenses I can look at it from. One is like as a gamer, right? Yeah. And game, game culture. Then there's as a person that's worked in the game industry and what it's like inside of game development studios, right? Yeah. And I, I got to say, um, I haven't, and it, it might just be because I've been lucky the places I've been and I'm, um, it's just, you know, treating people fairly and equally is something which is just normal to me. Like it's so, you know, that are my whole life everywhere I've worked the DreamWorks EA you know um the Spark every place that we that I've worked we've had what you call now an inclusive space you know like um and it was never like whenever we were going through hiring like secret like I've interviewed thousands of people you know in the last 20 years um always hungry for candidates that were not like the standard candidates you know and um if there was a, a female candidate they automatically got, you know, um, I just got to say like this in personal, like my personal experience has been um, that if I have, you know, a, a lot of candidates to look at because um, your, your inbox fills up when you put out a post and your work, especially if you're working for a studio that has a, a, a marquee name, um, your inbox fills up and um, you want to spend, I spend extra time Probably. I mean, I spend a lot of time with every candidate, but I, sp I might spend extra time because uh, it's because it uh, there's a vanilla quality, not to make it too uh, specific, of having the sameness of a culture. I don't, and I don't think it's exclusive to gaming and, you know, the, the demographics of the game industry so much, but I think the sameness of any culture can start to feel vanilla if it's mm -hmm. all the same thing all the time, right? So. Yeah. Um, so as a studio, um, in, in studios I've worked in positions of leadership I've been in, um, you know, it's things like fair treatment and, and, uh, and equal pay and um, discrimination have been things that a good, a good leader is always, you know, keeping an eye on to make sure isn't, isn't happening. And I haven't been exposed to that happening a lot. Uh, and I actually can't think of hardly any cases. Um, that I've personally seen. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It means that sure. when I walk into the room, people have Everybody a different shuts reaction. Up. Yeah. They have a different reaction, right? Than if someone else who might be a target of some bad behavior walks into a room, right? Right. Um, but I mean, you just you need to nip it in the bud as soon as it happens, regardless of whatever it's about, because that kind of behavior is just not tolerable, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, now, game industry, but talking about as a gamer in the game culture. Um, I think this is, uh, I, all I can think of is that I have theories because I, uh, I grew up in a very secluded, like I grew up on an island in, in, in the Puget Sound. There was nobody to talk, it was very boring. Um, there was no, well, obviously pre-internet, it was very boring. You couldn't even get online, right? So, and it like costs money to call people on the phone back then. Cost right. money. Right? So like you got a bill, it's like, the, it's like a power bill basically back then. The more you talk, the more you pay. So. It was super boring 
and my friends and I would play games. It was either like in, in back in the day, it's like off the coast of Seattle. So either you're doing heroin or you're playing video games. Those are kind of your two choices. And so we played video games, you know, um, good choice. And good choice. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd never, I mean, it might be because we were so isolated, but we, you know, the, I, and it was so early still for the game industry. Um, we were playing games that were kind of pre sort of the M rated stuff, like before the rating systems. And the mm-hmm. games were all very like Nintendo like. You know, they're playful, they're colorful, they're totally E, you know, E for everybody. Um, it was before the Super Soldier era of Metal Gear Solid kind of came out and started really some new darker trends in the industry that were more around military and violence and stuff and shooters like Doom, and um, which was still very cartoony, like original Doom. If you go back and play it now, you're, you know, it's just a total cartoon. But there was a fascination with, kind of a power fantasy that ended up driving a ton of uh, business um, in the game industry. And I think that games that tend to focus on domination and power will end up affecting the culture that plays it and affects the studios that build it too. Can't They have more of a tendency to do that. Um, I don't have science to point to. So this is just me having a theory. So I have no, I have no science. I asked for your personal opinion, not for the science. Personal opinion, right? Um, um, That said, I worked on a ton of shooters and even the cultures I've been in, well, well, there is a lot more kind of, you know, I'd say there's a little more focus on uh, who has the best skill at the end of the day in in a multiplayer game to to come out as the winner. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still very much a, an experience that's based on winning it's and the way you win is by dominating right you Mm -hmm. dominate the playground and the playground happens to be um you know jump toss the grenade you know pistol whip and then teabag and that's the the sequence in which you win right so uh you know like and so that's the game and so you end up you know in those sorts of experiences and they're they're more like maybe the running man i don't know if you remember like back in the day there was like movies and 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 books like the running man which were violent game shows you know Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what a lot of the big business has turned had turned into because it was easy to pull from these film references um they're they're kind of creative petri dishes for the game early development right and you could pull from michael bay movies and pull the formula out of a Michael Bay movie and stick it into a Medal of Honor or a Call of Duty game, almost like that's what, that's actually what the early Call of Duties and Medal of Honors were built on was basically the framework of a Michael Bay movie. Cinematic moments was a big thing back then. Um, trying to recreate cinematic moments. Mm-hmm. And more, usually the cinematic moments were big action, you know, the, the money shots from big action movies um, and recreating those scenes and, and wanting to, you know live through those scenes and a lot of that was it's it's all around an action movie um and so i think that reward structure contributes to um a culture which is chasing an aspirational value uh and that aspirational value is to win in a metaphorical not a real fight right not real a, a, a video game version of a real fight right um, and so 
that's where I think if I had to have a theory about it, that's my best, my best guess right now. So, I, so for me, that's the whole like toxic masculinity of war theory, right? That like we play video games and exactly what you're describing, like these really aggressive, usually with a male lead, you know, yeah. I, as far as I know, none of the call of duty metal law, none of those franchises have a female option. Um, uh, for, so- I'll give you so an example. I'll give you, and, that, and this would be a this would probably be a, a rare example. But the sequel to Medal of Honor stars a female lead in the French Resistance, um, and there was a deliberate choice by the the producer of the franchise at the time, um, the producers of the franchise at the time, um, to tell legitimate stories about you know because it was honestly it was like taken from real life. Right. Um, it might fictionalize a lot of elements, but the early Medal of Honors were very much history, like they're a, a, a honest history lesson, you know, and what happened um, in World War II. And I think, I don't know if it's still trying to do that, but, um, or it, it did in the recent editions, but in the early days, that's definitely was a big component. Um, so, 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 yeah, so there is some, so already I'm wrong, but that is like, that's the kind of- exception, total exception. Yeah. Probably, right? yeah. And so- I mean, I, I definitely like that, again, that sort of hyper-dramatization and um, winning through toxic masculinity in a lot of ways, because it's you know glorifying all of like the, the things that make up toxic masculinity in a lot of ways, like, oh, we're, you're shot, but you're still going. And like, no, you know, real men don't cry. And like that whole kind of ethos is really celebrated in those games, but those aren't the only games out there. And so like, I've had people question whether or not I can be a real gamer around shit like Skylanders, Dave, Skylanders. Huh? Like, I don't, it's like, they think that because I have lady parts, I can't work an Xbox controller. Yeah. And very consistently women I know who are gamers hear things like, Oh, let me guess. Mario Kart. Am I right? Yeah. Because that's what you play with your girlfriend. I'm like, yeah, well, first you know, of all, I haven't been anybody's hardcore. girlfriend in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Second of all, I was gaming before that guy came around. So start there. And thirdly, I suck at Mario Kart and I hate its face. I'd like to watch other people play. I have no interest in playing Mario Kart myself. Yeah. Does not tick my boxes. So like, I, yeah, but I will say that we consistently, that is something that I know women hear all the time, a lot, a lot. Yeah. And I, the best, in terms of the, uh, the best advice I could give, and I have three daughters, like 18, uh, man, they're always, they're always changing. I have one son, so they're always changing birthdays. I'm going to get it wrong. 18, 14 and 13. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Again, we had them all at once, pretty much. So 18, 14, <laughs> and 13. My son is 16. Um, uh, my advice is you got to go in with, um, I have, my, my son is a total gaming freak. Um, my youngest daughter loves to play certain games. She loves racing and she loves Fortnite. Um, okay. So she loves to play those. Um, so like uh, Sonic, uh, so- Sega Sonic All-Stars. Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing. And the okay. sequel, I think, are her favorites. Um, um, the kill, sh- uh, to, to me, it's all about planning the kill shot. 
So like mm -hmm. the, the point is to go in and, and prove like that you 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 don't so that you don't have to go you know have to sit through a massive interrogation right it'd be all about um in a single uh, try to formulate i would tell them to, to we work on formulating a single statement so that when you walk into any any room with and you start to encounter this kind of stuff there's you could just say one thing and it, it just establishes your credibility and shuts everybody up I guess I just don't understand why I need credibility as a gamer. Like it's a hobby, Dave. It's a hobby. It's a hobby. When I am when I am walking in to sell myself as a recruiter for a gaming studio, that is a different kind of credibility I need to establish. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right. That pitch I've got. But if I just want to walk into a GameStop yeah. and pick out a new video game, what I don't need is the spotty face kid behind the till being like, oh, are you here for something for your boyfriend? Yeah. <laughs> no, because yeah. my husband gets mad when I buy him presents. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, and it, I just—it's it, it, you're doing the hard. I feel like you're doing the hard work and breaking down because what the only way to to change, I think, people's actual cognitive um, uh, behavior, like the the thinking patterns that they are going through when they they seem to recognize an anomaly in their landscape is to have it no longer be an anomaly. Yeah. Um, right. And so the, 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 and the, the more powerfully you can do that, the more that it will no longer be like a thing that they're going to do over and over again, you know, um, that I, Which I, is will why that, I give myself license to be a bitch when it happens. Cause I'm like, yeah. well, hey, guys, so guys are trash talking each other all the time. So if, if you have somebody who sucks at games, like I tend to be, especially in the first person shooter titles I've worked on, um, and the guys from my teams would, would corroborate this is that I tend to be in the bottom half of the skill, skill ranks. Right. So I'm, I'm like the one that they're, everyone's having to carry, maybe not all the time, but some of the time. And so I don't have a reputation of being first picked. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'll get trash talked all the time too, but it's because I'm at a certain skill level and it, but there isn't a, uh, there isn't any association with gender or sex with me, um, but I still deal with it all the time. And I think anybody who's any guy who is uh, entering into a competitive space has to show where they rank in terms of the skill. Um, and it's just, I, that's sort of a normal guy thing, you know, um, if it's sports or the trash talking in sports is normal, like trash talking in games is the same thing. Like it's, it's this uh, I'm here for trash talk. That doesn't bother me. That what so bothers me. Totally, that's where you could totally own them. I, yeah. Right? What it, like I'm not very good at the games, but the trash talk, Dave, I've got that Dude, one down. That's where you that's where you win. Yeah. Verbal yeah. manipulation, I'm much better than all the rest of them. But it is just the the presumption. So you mentioned there the like the sporting analogy. Yeah. And you've got kids that play games. Dude. So I've heard a number of like podcasts and read a bunch of articles about making the case that video games are the new sport. And there are universities who are giving out university, are giving out scholarships for like League of Legends and what? um yeah, really? all that kind of stuff. Now absolutely scholarships. Okay. Scholarships yeah. the same way they do for athletes. Like I have recruited kids who literally were going to university on a League of Legends scholarship. Wow. I had no idea. 
the pools for these like gaming cons are like hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to the victor, like virtual sport is huge. So as a dad, because I am, my husband and I are having this debate ourselves. There are people now who hire professional gaming coaches for their children in the same way that if you had a kid who was a good basketball player yeah, and wanted to go to college on a basketball scholarship, be very normal to pay for like some extra basketball coaching for that kid, right? Yeah, yeah. They do the same thing with video games. Wow. And my husband and I are like... I'm just too old because I can't get my head around a world in which you not like we're practicing your video game is a thing that your mother tells you you have to do, right? Like video games are what you got to do when you finished your homework and ate all your broccoli <laughs> when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. And instead, and like, you know, I was a competitive swimmer and diver. I was a softball player. Like i and then I quit doing things that moved my body if I could possibly avoid it and became a debater. I know you're surprised to hear that one. Um, but like all of those things were things that I had to practice and I had coaches and like all of that kind of stuff. I just can't get my head around that as a video game. What as a dad, if your kids were like, dad, I'm really good at Overwatch. And I feel like I want to go for this scholarship for Overwatch. And I like how... How does that sit? How do you feel about that? Man, it's my, my initial gut reaction is like, stop, don't, right? It doesn't make any sense. That's never going to work. Yeah. Um, Same. But, but quickly, I have to arrest that because I recognize it as sort of like a knee-jerk reaction. And I have to think back to like, um, well, I got started in the game industry when it was tiny, you know, like our mm -hmm. teams were 10 people or 12 people, right? Like the whole team. Um, <laughs> and we never thought it was going to be, no, I can't say, I would, I can't speak for everybody that I've ever worked with, but if we had known, I mean, we had no idea it was going to blow up to be what it is. I mean, it was like this weird little niche thing that we thought was really cool. And we were the, we were the audience of the things we were making. Right. I mean, it mm -hmm. was a totally like a, a, a weird little niche thing that blew up into what it is today. Kind of like anime is now. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and my parents would have, if they had known in advance, you know, I, I went to two different colleges and ended up in, in video games, right? Like if they had known like that I was going to end up, they're going to spend all this money and I was going to end up being a video game artist. I don't know if they would have supported it. Would they have supported it? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't. You know, like, uh, but, but like, is it a thing? Well, it's been a thing so far for 20 something years. That's yeah. not true for everybody. Like, um, and, uh, and so it's, so you can't, I can't know a hundred percent that being an esports, you know, star is the way to go. But I would be concerned about a lot of, you know, as a dad, as, yeah, a, yeah. As, as a lame dad, I have to be concerned about things like, you know, people are using drugs to get, a, you know, get an extra edge during gameplay and they have to start to do testing and all of this BS, right? Like um, there's skills that they're building, which are not physical, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how they map to anything else because I'm, I'm a lame old dad, right? But maybe there is a world in the future where they do. I have no idea. 
but at the same time, like I understand the case for you learn skills through sports. I'm a big believer that competitive sports that yeah. everybody needs to do it because it teaches you how to lose. And it teaches you that yeah. when you're on a team with people and you don't pull your weight, yeah, that pisses people uh, off. <laughs> it also right? gives you an idea of your strengths and where you can contribute the most and how yes. you fit within a, a hierarchy and all kinds of good stuff. Huge yeah. fan of competitive sports for young people. Struggle more with the video game because like you said, like to me, the physical sport thing, like you're learning those lessons great. After a while, you've kind of learned as much of that lesson as you're going to get from the sports. Having a love of the sports encourages you to love doing things that move your body and keep you healthy for the rest of your life. Great. There's only so much of that you're going to do, right? Like once you get to that, I am training to be the next LeBron James, you're in this whole different world. And those skills that you're getting there that are going to make you the difference between the random kid playing high school basketball and the kid that's being picked to be the next LeBron aren't going to translate to anything but basketball. That is pure basketball. Yeah. So it's kind of, again, you wouldn't say no if your kid wanted to be a basketball star. Right. And that's what I keep coming back to is I'm like, damn it. Oh, they didn't would let them do that. I would. I would probably say, okay, we need to prove it. You're going to have to hit some pretty clear goals, right? You're going to have to yeah, win yeah. this competition, win the next competition. We're going to go, I'll, I'll support it, but we're going to need a fallback strategy too, right? Oh, for and sure. We'll have to prove that we're paying attention in school and getting good grades. and Because all, all it takes is one it. torn ACL and then you ain't LeBron anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But ideally, I mean, if they have, I hate to take, if there's legitimate passion um, and excitement and resonance in somebody, whether that's my kids or whether that's somebody that I'm working with or um, that I'm supervising or anything like that's energy, that's pure energy, right? Like it, it, and it, it's coming naturally out of a well inside the person and, yeah. and to fight against it is, um, you, you should only really do if, if you're certain, or there's a light, there's a large chance of doom right or peril or something right exactly otherwise let them like let them do it they're gonna they're gonna totally uh have so much get so much value out of accomplishing what they're chasing that they can fold into their future plans that it's more important to me to me that my kids realize these loops of of being completely just obsessed with something and then going out and, and achieving and accomplishing something amazing and then folding that into whatever they're going to do after that you realize um, that now they're going to hear this and they're going to be like, dad, you said that if I want to be like competitive Overwatch, you're in. So yeah. I'm going to need a lot of gaming time yeah, on my right. weekly schedule. And you're going to yeah. be like, oh. <laughs> what did I do? Michelle, yeah. I thought we were friends. You set me yeah. up. <laughs> so Along that note, I have this theory and I, I think you'll agree with me, but you may not. So I'm excited to hear that at the beginning of the 20th century, literacy rates were not high in yeah. this country. And one of the major determining factors for a lot of skilled employment was literacy. Mm -hmm. And then over the course of the 20th century, we worked our way up to where we are now, which is like a 90% literacy rate. I believe 
and I may be crazy, that in the 21st century, the same will be true for the ability to code. That mm. at the beginning of the 21st century, the number of coders was this big, but that as we move through life, there are fewer and fewer jobs that don't require some ability to code. Hmm. Um, yeah. And so I think that as we move, like I said, we're going to need to like that for our kids, yeah. right? That in order for them to be competitive in the job market, and I don't care what they want to be, that they will need to be able to code at some level. You are more in the zone than I am. What is your, what do you think about that? I can absolutely say, I mean, anybody, I think in the industry, in the game industry could say that, I mean, if you can code, then you are bringing an extra, a, a new extra dimension to your skill set um, that sets you apart. Um, I think it definitely, even to the limited, very limited degree that I can code, it set me apart and has helped me. Like I, like right before joining us here, I was in a two hour code, you know, code review session and I could understand conceptually what was going on. I don't understand all the details, obviously, but conceptually I can understand it well enough to ask uh, useful questions, right? Um, in the meeting and it, to be able to have that understanding is really good. Um, if it's possible to teach from an early age, I know that there are there are many programs which teach visual, mm -hmm. visual base, you know, visual scripting, and and uh, my kid did a you know Minecraft coding. Uh, my boy did a Minecraft coding camp um, so that he could make a mod. Uh, I think trying to I, I've tried to push some of that at my my daughters, and they're just like tissue rejection. They're just like not into it at all. Like like and i have very i have a wide my three daughters have very different personalities one's very tomboy uh it's a gymnast she's the one that loves to play video games um she's full of energy every any minute of the day or the middle of the night she'll be up you know um and then i have i have the other two lean like across the spectrum you know um but uh i forget where i was going with that was but your not, Sorry. It was, uh, but they were talking about they're not as interested in coding. That your they're son not as interested has... in coding, right? Yeah. So, but you're, I think you were right in terms of um, people that can and at least can conceptually understand coding have gone through, say, um, a one or two year computer science course in school. Um, will have a language. It's like learning a language. It's literally like, uh, you know, English, you're born learning, learning American English. If you learn Spanish, then you'll be more diverse, right? Uh, Spanish is actually you... my first language, but yes, you're right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, so Spanish and then English, English, then you're more diverse. It's learning another language and coding is a language. Um, yeah. And a lot of the concepts in coding span different varieties of languages, you know, like for loops or whatever. Um, but, um, but understanding the basic syntax of coding will be will arm you will arm anybody with uh another language and that language is highly you uh, has high utility today and in the future so very much it's important to the people that i feel like there's a there is some people that are just they're still illiterate they don't even know how to copy paste some people don't even know how to copy paste still you know yeah and, and i don't know what to do for those people like uh, I just yeah. don't know what to do. Like, it's not like there isn't, it's not easy. 
uh, or the concept isn't everywhere. It's on every platform, copy paste. Everybody knows, everybody can copy paste. So, think, yeah. So there's already, there's tons of studies out there about the difference in terms of what is obvious for those of us that have had technology either for our entire life or for most of our life within memory, right? Like I'm yeah. right on the cusp of that. Am I millennial? Am I Gen X? One of those geriatric millennials that's very flattering, but I think <laughs> like that kind of that zone, right? So I remember the first Tandy computer that my family got, and then we got yeah. an 8088. And like, I remember we played NetHack, right? Like I, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. NetHack was awesome. Yeah. Um, but like we, we I remember that, but it was very young. And so I have kind of grown up with technology and computers being de rigueur. Yeah. Whereas for folks that did not grow up with that, it's a very, like, for me, computers are obvious. Like, I don't need you to tell me where I'm going to find a such and so file because it's obviously, yeah, like there's an innate you have high kind of, literacy. Yeah, you have high yeah. literacy. Yeah. But for people who didn't grow up like that, it make I have to check myself sometimes that, you know, either because of a generational issue or a geographic issue, like they were in a part of the world that didn't have access mm -hmm. to computers in their home or yeah. for a socioeconomic reason, you know, there's a thousand reasons people don't grow up with the technology, but it does really, really, really skew as an adult, how obvious this stuff is to people. Yeah. So I think for me, I think that that's kind of a big part of that. Like, what do you mean you can't copy paste? Yeah, <laughs> because when you, I, you know, when we grew up with it, it's different that way. It is. Um, it is. Well, and cell phones are changing so much. Uh, just anecdotally, I work with a, a charity that helps uh, third world countries and the people that we talk to that live there, they all have phones. They all have uh, Android phones pretty much Android phones, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm chatting with these, these folks all day long, um, but, the, but they understand copy paste, right? Yeah. They've got copy paste. They don't, <laughs> because they, they now have access to copy paste sure. and, they understand the power of being able to use a phone. Right. Um, a lot of it's because that's their wallet too, you know? Um, and so <laughs> that's their financial literacy. That's how they learn about everything in the world through the internet. That's how they talk to other people in other, other areas, uh, whether they have, reliable electricity or not, you know, their phone is going to be charged to, to the degree that they can help it. Right. Because yeah. they're, that's the, the essential tool that they own. Um, so it's yeah, a light I mean, source, it's a communication source, it's an emergency, yeah. like all of that. Absolutely. All those things. So we're, the world is going to see in the next generation, something that we couldn't even have conceived of in like the nineties or the eighties. Right. Um, I'm Let alone before that. Yeah. I'm 46, so I grew up, my dad was a lifelong IBM employee, technical sales. So I had an 8086, the first, you know, with a 10 meg hard drive, like that was me, right? CGA monitor. So um, I grew up around, you know, new units from IBM, basically. Um, and I learned to code in basic when I was seven, right? Because of that. And I was like writing songs, basically. I was using the, you know, the speaker and the computer to write music. Um, nice. But uh, if you're around it, you'll learn it, right? I mean, if it's a key part of your life and it is for the, like the whole world now, 
even mm-hmm. for the poorest people, but even yeah. for the poorest people, they're going to find a way to get an Android phone um, because they're so powerful. So the entire world is going to change over the next generation because the billions and billions of people all over the world have been have been growing up with the internet for the first time. And have time. a voice. And have a the, voice. Yeah. On a global scale scale that and was never that was never the case before. Right. So. And it's centralized and there's no and the, the gatekeepers are getting, you know, basically as much as we're seeing a tug of, a tug of war right now between gatekeepers and and uh, and decentralized solutions. I think that's gonna. It's heading in a decentralized direction. Um, for every time that we see a, a, an attempt to control um, technology, uh, yeah. there's more pressure to develop decentralized solutions, and it's just it's a. I mean, it's blockchain. Happen. Yeah, blockchain's yeah. amazing. So. Yeah. So, we're almost out of time. So I want. I do have one more question that I want to ask because sure. I get asked this all the time, and I give my answer. Um, but I don't have your street cred for the answer. So, and I may learn something as well. So when you came into gaming, you came into gaming because you were smart and creative and made a game. And somebody was like, holy crap, this guy knows how to make a video game. We should hire him. DreamWorks, come on down. These days, there's a lot more candidates in the gaming market. And it is... When I started recruitment for gaming, nobody gave a shit about resumes. None of my clients gave a shit about if they'd gone to college. All they wanted to see was a portfolio. Yeah. You tell me you're a, you know, a gaming engineer. Great. Show me some of your scenery that you've done. Show me like, that's what they wanted was the portfolio. And that was it. Mm -hmm. These days, when I work with gaming companies, all they want to see is a resume. And then if hmm. they're interested enough at the resume and at the interview, like usually preparing for the interview, that's when they look at the um, at the portfolio. Like it's there. Uh, yeah. But what is, but that may be my sample set of this, right? So what in, what would be your advice? Like, do you think that a portfolio is still, Ultimately, like if you want to be in gaming, the portfolio is the way to go is to spend your time building that. Do you think that it's about getting a fancy degree? Do you think there's a magical qualification that will suddenly make every gaming studio be like, oh my God, I must have him on my staff now? Or what's your advice for people Uh, wanting to get into gaming? Well, so I got a caveat a little bit in, I've done a ton of hiring, but I'm also 46. And so my, my, the way that I hire is going to be baked into when I started, right? Um, mm-hmm. So people that are 25 uh, that are maybe seniors or leads now may have a different philosophy. I don't know. So I'll say that just to get it out of the way. Okay. But um, to me, it's interesting that you'd say that people don't look at portfolio. To me, like I, that's how I grew up, right? We'd look at portfolios. So mm-hmm. I care about portfolios. I mean, portfolios matter way more than anything else. Uh, because they tell you whether somebody paid attention in school or not, um, or you know who how good their instructors were, um, how ambitious they are, uh, you know how how complex have they, you know, how high have they reached on their own, um, and it helps you assess their long term potential just from looking at the portfolio, right? Um, and 
you can do all that just by looking at the portfolio. I, I wonder if some of the some of it is a byproduct of game developers used to be small and now they're huge, and that means that they come with they come with a full featured recruiting team, HR group, and a bunch of other people that end up being the initial screeners. Mm-hmm. And the initial screeners don't know. I work with many that don't know how to look at a portfolio or assess it. And it uh, because, um, yeah, but then, and that's awesome, right? Like, and, yeah. and some are open and they want to learn like how. And so I've worked with those, you know, with people like that in the past, and we can point out some basic things to look for and how to, how to examine composition or how to look at lighting or um, look at proportion, like basics, right? Um, and, and so I wonder if some of the emphasis is now on recruiting departments and their, uh, their intake systems um, mm-hmm. where they can parse a resume and put it into their like lever or lever or whatever their system is right for intake and um and it, it works with the computer system for the applicant process um i taught a class at otis one of the actually it was their first uh gaming class um in the los angeles uh and one of the things that one of the lessons i did was all around how to hack the front door meaning the recruiting front door mm-hmm. um so um, a, a lot of the things that I taught the class then were around how to get around the gatekeeping. And so that's what I would recommend is the, the, gate, the, front, entirely. the front door, the front door is like the hardest filter, right? Um, and it's the most brutal that you're going to go through. And I, I, we went through a mock portfolio review in the class and what it was like to actually sit through one um, so that they could understand how their work was going to be looked at, how the, the environment in, in which their work would be looked at. Um, and it helped, I think it helped, I got feedback and, um, from my class and many who went on to be in the game industry, um, so that it helped as well, yeah. because it basically is like, look, don't waste your time with this, this, and that instead focus on this other thing and you'll be way more effective. Right. Um, so I think end running, um, finding ways to be visible to people, um, is, a great way to expose yourself um, to hiring managers. Now, the hiring managers are the key people, right? Like if you're an artist looking to get hired, you want the hiring manager to see your portfolio. Um, so I, I would say that I'm not, uh, if, I, if, if, I, if I'm hiring for a position, I honestly don't really care about which school they came from, unless it's just from a kind of like a handful, of, a very small handful of schools. Like, um, so it, because the schools tend to not matter that the departments are kind of generic, they don't, they're kind of structured based off of more obvious lessons that you can kind of learn online for free if you want. I mean, there's really not a massive reason to go get a, a gaming degree somewhere unless it's from just a handful of schools that are actually really good at it. Um, and uh, and so I would not recommend, that's me, me being 46 and my style, <laughs> I would not recommend emphasizing the degree or the school um, as being the way in. I would focus on the quality of your work and show it. Um, and yeah, I, know, I know there's a ton of people and they're all just, the, the, the trick isn't to run out and do a few lessons on YouTube for how to you know, build something in Unity, you know. Um, necessarily it's it's uh it's to have a creative vision um around what you want to make first and you could make that vision in any way like 
in almost any way first before you have to make it as a video game, I'd say. I think one of the things I get frustrated when people come to me for this advice is I'm like, look, you have to have a good resume to get in front of the hiring manager because you're right. Like the recruiters, the recruiters, the sourcers, the HR, the whoever, all they're going to do is look at that piece of paper. I think that that's a terrible measure personally, but that's what they're going to do. But then after that, the hiring manager is really just going to go look at your portfolio. That's really all they give a shit about. Mm -hmm. You have to tick the boxes to get to them. But then after that, they want to look at the portfolio. And what I hear a lot from people is, well, what, how do I do a portfolio? Will you make a website or you, there's a thousand like portfolio websites you can go to. GitHub has great portfolio stuff. Like there's tons of other ones as well. DeviantArt, like whatever, right? Like, That's right. And make a portfolio and then have that link on every freaking thing ever Mm -hmm. and hope that somebody clicks on it. And they're like, oh, well, that's a lot of work. I I don't know. This is your your career, right? Yeah. (laughs) You want this job or not? Like, ultimately. And again, pushback. I would just say put on ArtStation, right? I think it's free to put on ArtStation. ArtStation is a super common. Yeah. Uh, destination. Um, I always like deviant art because it's darker stuff. And like, that's just my personal yeah. style. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But, like, cool. Yeah. yeah deviant art's cool. Um, yes. Art station is fine too. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, that's, that's what I hear when I give that is that you, you can't pick and choose anymore because most of the hiring managers I know in gaming are like, if so help me God, if you tell people that I'm the freaking hiring manager for this. I'm coming at you. I will find where you live. Yeah. And I will hunt you down because my inbox does not need 9,000 wannabe right. game developers emailing me, begging me for a job. Yeah. That's why I'm paying you. <laughs> so, yeah. like, and I feel that. But, like, ultimately, like I said, almost everybody is just going to look straight at the resume. Personally, all I do is click on their portfolio. If they don't have a portfolio, my answer, my answer is no. Like there's too many people that have one. That's what, when I get an art candidate, if I don't have a portfolio link, it's an instant no. Actually, it's not a, it's, it's not an instant no. It's an instant me pushing back to the recruiter to say, where's the link to the portfolio? Did you not do your job here? (laughs) um, Because without that, I mean, like, I don't even care. Like it got to the point where I was going through so many, like, I can't even look at their name. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I look at their portfolio and then I remember the person because of a piece in or a couple of pieces in the portfolio. And yeah. I go, oh, you're Moses or you're Jose or you're, you're Jessica or whatever. And then I can associate the person with their name, with their pieces. And then I go to their resume and say, OK, how many other developers have you looked at or worked at? And, and see, and, I and just environments, right? My the way that I work with hiring managers in gaming is I tend to just send them the link to the portfolio. And then if you click on that and you like it, then I'm happy to give you the rest of their detail. You don't need to know anything yeah. else. Honestly, that's, you don't even, I don't even need to know their name or anything. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's my take on it. Like you have one, you get one email from me with like, Hey Dave, I think this person would be great for a blah project because usually, you know, a couple of different projects. Like, I think this person would be great for this role. Have a look. Let me know what you think. Click on the portfolio. Yay or nay. Great. If it's a yes, here is then my notes about them as a candidate and here's their resume because that's the first time you care. But yeah, that's, I prefer just to start with the portfolio because I don't want to 
cloud it with anything else. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. and it's a pain in my ass to type up those long emails. <laughs> it's way yeah. easier to just be like this. No. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah. And that yeah. especially works for, for artists, obviously for design, yes. it, it, it definitely shows a willingness to go above and beyond if they produce a portfolio or a website or anything that shows their work. That's great. Um, that is less common though, I have to say for design. See, again, I even tell the design people you need it. Like it's a competitive industry. If you want to work in a competitive help. industry, you got to show up yeah. all day. De definitely will help. Um, yeah. I mean, and the engineers are unique too, right? But uh, they can have portfolios too. There is not in like 2021, there is no excuse. If you want to work in something like gaming, like, and for obviously engineers, those kind of guys, I don't just send their portfolio. Like I send the other stuff, but I think yeah. that it helps. Like if I can say, here's a link to their GitHub, here's some code that you can see that they've done. Here's 100%. some pieces, like. Here's some games that they've worked on. They, this is the functionality piece that they created there. Like, that's what you care about. And if people are like, oh, well, but I haven't worked on any games. Well, then make one. There's 9,000 free tools out there. Hell, I told you my husband's making one for my kids in his free time. Like, yep. you don't have to be, it, it doesn't have to cost you anything. And you don't have to, like, already be in being paid to do it. And if you're not willing to cut your teeth on some free products, then why should somebody pay you to cut your teeth on their product that's going to keep the lights on? That's right. Kind of my take on it. Yep. I totally agree. Totally well, agree. I have used up all of your time and then some. So um, what no have worries. we not talked about that you wanted to cover? Well, this is my first podcast, so I didn't come with any preconceived ideas. So I'm I, so excited. I don't have anything. I'm, I'm honored sorry. at all the levels. Oh my gosh. I get to be your first podcast. That is exciting. <laughs> and yeah, no, it's been great though. Thank you. I think this has been fantastic and super informative. Um, I think one of my favorite things is just your humility that it took me, I don't first 10 minutes to get you to like say the name call of duty. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Medal yeah. of honor. <laughs> all of yeah. the things that like people will be like, Oh my God, that guy. So yeah. I, I just, it always makes me happy talking to you, if only for those reasons, Dave. I just, you're a delight. Thank sure. you so much for being with me. Yeah, you bet. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. You've been listening to Hey, I Want Your Job. For more information on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta for more insider information. Soon, you'll be hearing us say, I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job. <laughs>